0: Welcome to the
1: Retirement Risk Show, the best retirement interviews and advice with Dave Hall. Learn strategies to help you reduce and even eliminate the risks facing your retirement.
0: Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Dave Hall. I'm your host. Very excited to be back with you talking about Your retirement and what you can do to get yourself safely through retirement. If you've not yet got a copy of my new book, Getting Safely Through Retirement, I encourage you to go to our website, retirementriskadvisors.com or Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, anywhere else you're going to find fine books, you're going to get access to a copy of that. It's going to help you better understand not only the challenges you'll face in retirement, but also the solutions that you should be putting in place to get where you need to be. Also encourage you to attend our Shatter Your Retirement Risk event. This is something that we teach every two weeks. It's a four-hour event. but You do get CPE credit if you're an accountant. If you're not, we invite you to attend as well, just so you can get the information where we talk about the top 10 financial risks facing your retirement and what you need to do to reduce and eliminate these risks. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the top 10 risks, and that is long-term care risk. To help me with this, I brought in Alicia Burnett. She is the Vice President of Care Planning for Financial Independence Group. Uh, Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dave. Glad to be here. It's always fun to get back together. I get a chance of seeing you once in a while at events. Uh, We did a podcast a year ago, and it's exciting for me because this is a topic I don't find a lot of people that I know that have a lot of knowledge on. And you happen to be one of those. You spend over 20 years of your career in care planning and dealing with long-term care issues. What got you started originally?
1: Dave, believe it or not, I said I would never get in the industry. My dad owned an agency and he did a lot of health care and long-term care insurance. Again, I said I would stay away from it. And I was working with my dad part-time and really fell in love with the industry. And here I am several years later, and I've watched a lot of family members go through needing care, and my mother provided some care. And I just watched kind of the effects of what it, the consequences of what it did to my family and not having a plan in place. And it's become a real passion for me. So I'm excited to be able to share and help others really not make the same mistake that our family made.
0: Very interesting when you talk about your family relationship and working with your dad. I now have four of my children who work for me, which is very interesting because when I started out, I was an accountant that did taxes. And I would not let my children become accountants because I didn't want them to have the long hours. I figured there was better ways for them to make money than going through tax season and all the things that it required. And then as we transitioned into the retirement space and helping people solve those issues, all my kids started looking at what I was doing and said, Dad, we want to come to work for you now. Is it okay if we come and be advisors or help you with sales or whatever the case may be? So very excited. I hope 20 years from now, they're as excited as you are about their careers and their professions. Well, I know during the last 20 years, things have drastically changed in the long-term care area, probably more from a insurance company and what they offer than from an individual who's doing more planning. But let's talk a little little bit about some of maybe the recent changes that are happening out there and how products have transitioned over the last few years.
1: Great question Dave and because I've been in the industry for such a long time I have really seen the landscape change in the long-term care industry when I first started you know I was a baby and the industry was not so old as well so there's really two main ways to mitigate the risk when it comes to long-term care planning. there's traditional long-term care. And what I like to call asset based long term care. And traditional, I like to use the analogy renting versus owning. So when I started, you know, roughly 25, 26 years ago in the industry, traditional long term care was really the only option. Uh, It's the cheapest way to buy the most amount of long term care. It's like term insurance or homeowners or car insurance. You pay in if you need it, you know, you've got a plan. If you die and don't use it, there's no death benefit and there's no exit strategy. There's nothing wrong with it. Again, it's like renting. But now, as the industry has changed, you know we've kind of changed along with it. Mostly what we're seeing in today's long-term care planning space are the asset-based long-term care, which, again, is like owning your policy. So these are our life insurance or annuity policies that can be accessed while alive, tax-free for LTC, and they provide additional leverage for long-term care, services like home care, assisted living, nursing home. But if you die and you don't use it, you've got a debt benefit and you have an exit strategy. So You know, a lot of differences now than it was 20 years ago when I first started. And we've got some really good solutions out there. I
0: had a client come in not too long ago that had one of those policies that was probably purchased right before you got in the industry. And it was one of those policies where there was no benefit they were going to get out of it. It It's 1993, so 30 years ago, they end up buying the policy. Now they're in their 80s. $37,000 a year is what they were having to pay for this coverage. And they're saying, we don't know what to do, Dave. We're in a position that we don't want to keep paying 37 grand for something we've had for 30 years. But the minute we stop, we don't have any coverage to get us through. Now, they were able to reduce some benefits and stuff to get their premiums down a little bit. It was tough when you look at those policies versus some of what's out there today.
1: Absolutely. We've seen uh, from those older policies, because when they, frankly, when they designed those policies years and years ago, we were in a much higher interest rate environment. So they priced it, you know, relatively low, a lot lower than they should have, which is why we're seeing these massive rate increases. You know, I've seen them anywhere from 15% to 200%. So you know, that's because, again, they underpriced the products, people kept the policies. So the persistency rate, which is meaning, you know, people kept their policies more than the insurance companies assumed they would. It was kind of a perfect storm. And that's why we're seeing the mess that we're in. I think some of these newer policies on the traditional side aren't going to have the rate increases that we're seeing now. But unfortunately, for those older policies, you know, there's no way around it, you're probably going to see a rate increase or two or three in, in, in the history of those policies.
0: And there's been a lot of companies that have got out of the space. I know at one time, one of the statistics I saw is that there were about 150 companies originally offering policies in the space. And the last numbers I saw were about 15 of them that are left those numbers sound familiar to what you've seen over the last 20 or so years?
1: Absolutely. I think 15 is being a little gracious. I think there's actually a lot less than that on the independent side, meaning those that are selling long-term care insurance and you're not captive to like a New York Life or Mass Mutual. There is really only three companies that you have access to. And then there are again, a few on the captive side, but not many, I'd say less than 10. It'll be interesting to see if if carriers enter the space with rising interest rates, but uh, in my opinion, I think we'll kind of see it remain stable just small like it is right
0: now. Yeah, very interesting to think it changed that much. Now, obviously, some of those companies still have policies that they're servicing, and you may be getting benefits off of those, but uh, really was a big adjustment. One of the problems that we have as we educate people on long-term care is that they're not preparing. In fact, one of the statistics I use, which I, I love statistics as an educator, is there are more people in America that believe in Bigfoot than do long-term care planning. There's 11% of America that believe in Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Boggy Creek Monster, whatever people call him. And yet we've only got about 6% of America doing long-term care planning. Why is that happening? Not why are so many believing in Bigfoot, but why, Alicia, are so many people not planning for this type of an event?
1: Well, unfortunately, I don't have the answer for you, but what I will tell you is 70% of people over the age of 65 will need some type of care. One in five will actually need care for five or or more years. I think the problem, problem is, Dave, most people think they're in the 30%. And if they think they're in the 30% and they don't think it's going to happen to them, they don't put a plan in place. So our job is to really get out there and educate people and help them understand that if you live long enough and become frail, you know, you're probably going to need some type of assistance. And I think most people, if you can convince them that they could potentially live a long life and could become frail, understand that there are will be consequences if you don't have a plan in place.
0: It's interesting for me, and I'm sure you see the exact same thing, is if someone's gone through this with a parent, they're right on our doorstep trying to figure out how they solve it because they see the impact that this has. They start realizing that Medicare is not going to cover the event, that Medicaid's not a great option, but although it's available out there, but it's usually going through the process that wakes them up. And I know for myself, I've got two disabled children. You may or may not know that, but Taking care of them is like taking care of an adult that's got to deal with all these issues on a daily basis. And it's a lot of work. It's costly. There's all kinds of additional medical costs and everything else that are associated with both of these children, which we're happy to bear. But it's really woken me up to saying there's got to be a better solution out there that people have got to take an interest in to be able to promote them into uh, making this change. And again, I guess as we look at it from an educational standpoint, I know that's what you do on a daily basis. What are the biggest things you're seeing people do to take that next step?
1: I honestly believe uh, long-term care solutions are really about the family. So family first, obviously, it will impact your finances if you need some type of care. But I think people understanding that, A, they might need care, they might become frail and might need some assistance in their life. But B, if they do need care, what are their consequences of not having a plan in place? What does that mean for your family? You know, most people, it's it's typically the oldest daughter in closest proximity. Maybe she'll quit her job and move in with you. Maybe you'll move in with her. Your life doesn't end. Someone else's does. And I think if you can get someone to recognize that, I think this is really a love solution. So you're doing this to help your family. Someone's going to take care of you regardless, right? Uh, this is really to help. Keep your family from uh, providing the care, rather, and supervising the care instead. So just leading them down the path, helping them understand that, and then knowing that there are a ton of different solutions out there. You know, again, we've got the traditional and the asset base. And on the asset base side, you can fund those solutions a number of different ways. There's really four ways that you can fund those. You can use income, just like traditional. So you could stroke a check every month or year to fund those you could use cash sitting in the bank or CDs, maybe money that you set aside for emergency purposes. You can use life insurance cash value. So Dave, if you've got an old life insurance policy and you don't need the death benefit, you can actually exchange that cash value into a policy that can provide you with long-term care benefits. And then I think a couple of other ways that I've really become popular is qualified money. A lot of us save our money in IRAs and 401ks and I've never paid taxes on those dollars and it's really a disproportionate amount of money that we've put into these types of vehicles where you can actually use qualified dollars and put them into some of these solutions. So a lot of people don't know that and I think just sitting down you know, talking about the different options will help. And then another one that's really up and coming are highly appreciated non-qualified annuities. So there are millions of dollars in and non-qualified annuities and if you're not going to turn it on for income and you you're just going to pass it on to your beneficiaries and you don't have a long-term care plan in place it's a great way to leverage that money to get the tax efficiencies so you know take for example if you have an annuity it's 50,000 it grows to 100 dave we know what happens when you start pulling money out you pay taxes on it right so so with these solutions you can reposition those you can get the tax efficiencies where that gain, that $50,000 gain in that example, comes out tax-free, and then you get additional leverage for long-term care. For example, your 100000 could turn into 300000 for long-term care services. So a lot of really unique, different solutions, and I think just being able to sit down because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach with each individual and kind of walk them down that path. Based on their health, based on their age, based on how they're going to fund it.
0: I appreciate you sharing that information because one of the things I see as an educator is that people often look at the old traditional long term care policy. And at some point, maybe they applied for one and they couldn't get approved. Maybe they didn't get through underwriting. And so they've written it off saying, well, there's no way I'm going to solve this issue until I come to one of our webinars and we start talking about some of these other solutions and the light comes on. And all of a sudden they start realizing there's more to it and more opportunity than what I thought. And you talk about a lot of these here that people often don't even consider when they're trying to solve this problem.
1: That's right. And with some of these newer innovation that we have seen in the long-term care industry, there are products for just about everyone. We even have a, a brand new product that rolled out that's a guaranteed issue solution. So you, you can bypass underwriting altogether and still get the tax efficiencies and still get some leverage for long-term care planning. So don't Just think because you have had a stroke or you have diabetes or you've had cancer in the past or you currently have cancer or if you're in a nursing home that you can't get some type of solution. There are really solutions for just about everybody out there. And that's what's really neat and unique about some of the different planning tools that we have today in the care planning space.
0: Alicia, is there a number you can throw out of what people need to be looking at from a cost standpoint, and not of the solution, but of the problem, saying if I end up in a long-term care situation, what could I be looking at out of pocket that I may be spending to solve this? That's a great question, Dave. Right now, nationally, the average is
1: around $90,000 a year for a facility. Now, remember, those are averages. There are obviously above average costs. What I typically recommend is let's at least start with covering half of that risk, so half of the 90,000, and that's typically going to cover almost 100% of home health care and 100% of assisted living, because most people, if you ask everybody in a room to raise their hand if they want to go into a nursing home, I've never seen anyone raise their hand. So the idea here is let's at least cover the home care risk and assisted living risk because naturally, we want to stay in the home. And then if you want to cover more of that risk, then you can dial it up or down based on how much of that risk you want to cover when it comes to nursing
0: home. Does that make sense, Dave? It does. And are we looking at three, four, five years? And how long should we plan for? For the average person, I realize it's going to be different for everyone. Honestly, you know,
1: I, statistics, even though, you know, we all know 70% of people over the age of 65 are going to need care. I, I'm not really a big fan. Because if, for example, you have an Alzheimer's claim, they're on average, they last about 8.2 years. For the regular average person that doesn't have Alzheimer's, you're looking at between 2.75 and three and a half years of care. Those are Medicare statistics. They typically don't include home care. So I would say, you know, 90, 95% of all claims are are less than five years. But, you know, averages are like drawing a line down the middle. And that's why with the different solutions out there, you can cover anywhere from a two-year risk all the way to an unlimited pool of money for long-term care services. So, you know, depending on your comfort level and, how much of that risk that you want to cover, you can honestly have the most catastrophic coverage out there, which is lifetime benefits. So again, it, there is something for everyone.
0: Yeah. I, I did some research and maybe you've seen bigger numbers than this, but I was looking to see how much was the most an insurance company's ever paid out on one of these claims. And it was over $2 million. And it was for someone who was in a facility for 20 years. And I didn't know who to feel more sorry for. Do, do I feel sorry for the guy that, or lady that had to be in a facility for 20 years going through this process or an insurance? company that had that large of a claim. And obviously, luckily for them, they have the insurance to be able to cover that or, or they would have, uh, again, how are they going to cover two plus million dollars in a facility for that long of a period of time?
1: I agree, Dave. That is a That number is astounding. And I think we're seeing a lot more too with, with cognitive impairments, you know, Alzheimer's. The statistics are pretty staggering. I think there's over six million Americans that have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. They're saying, By mid-century, one person every 33 seconds will be diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I mean, if there's not a cure, we're going to have a real big problem on our hands. So, you know, being able to mitigate the risk, having some sort of long-term care solution in place is really important.
0: What is the highest that you've ever seen for a facility? If you're in a big city or somewhere like that, private room, uh, any Numbers of what the highest amount you've seen for a monthly charge is?
1: Believe it or not, Dave, I've seen upwards of fifteen thousand dollars a month. If you want to stay at the Taj Mahal, you're going to pay Taj Mahal rates. <laughs> so it could be pretty pricey. Now, granted, that's a little bit above average, but some states, on average, are, are running ten to eleven thousand a month. You know, currently, and that's averages. That's not even you know you're really fancy and you're really nice. Nursing home, so it it is expensive.
0: I ask in my webinars sometimes to just get an idea of what people are paying, the people that they know. And highest I've gotten is twenty four thousand. It was in a big city, uh, which is unbelievable to me that you could be paying out that much. But it is a big issue, folks, and I think you need to understand that. Again, the solution needs to be there that comes through these various third parties, these organizations. Now, if you've got an endless supply of money and you want to self-insure, that's one thing. But at least you brought up a really hot topic to me when you talked about the family members stepping in, saying, look, your life continued on, but you ended your family. And, And this is one of the things I talk about a lot of times, the mental challenges that come with children that have to take care of this, the marriages that get destroyed, because of the children that have to take care of this and this being a family plan and a loving plan for our family. Any additional comments that you'd like to make in regards to that?
1: Absolutely, this is kind of my catchphrase, which is 100% true, long-term care doesn't bring families together, it tears families apart. You know, take my family for example. A lot of families are spread out all across this country, Dave. There's four of us in my family. I'm the oldest daughter in closest proximity. My mom's been twice widowed. My stepdad passed away at the beginning of the pandemic. And I have three other siblings. I have one that lives 10 minutes away. I'm an hour and 15 minutes one way. My sister's about four hours away. And my brother's about five hours away. She got COVID pretty bad about seven months ago. I stopped what I was doing. I went down every day. For two weeks, I took her medicine. I took her food. I looked through that glass door to make sure she was okay. Ask me how many times, Dave, my brother came over. Yeah, How many times did he come over? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> he came over zero times. And I love my brother. He's just not a caregiver. What's that going to look like when when my mom actually needs assistance? I've got twin boys. They're age 16. A full time job. I travel. You know, that's going to be a difficult conversation to have. And, you know, again, typically one person takes on the caregiving. What's it going to be like at Christmas and Thanksgiving when I'm sitting at the table with my siblings? You know, maybe my brother 10 minutes away isn't helping and it's really making me mad. Uh, Maybe my little brother five hours away is telling me what to do with mom's money. So, I mean, it is true. I have a plan so that my kids will talk to each other when I pass away. Seeing really long-term care experiences really just destroy families. So that's really the importance in my opinion. That's more important in my opinion, keeping the family together than even losing your family. If I can just say it all over again, you know, make sure you have a plan in place to protect those that you love.
0: Yeah, it affects so many things. I just had a client that left a $600,000 a year job because she felt obligated to go home and take care of her father. And I appreciate and respect that as a family person, but that's a lot of money to to walk away from and obviously going to impact her and her husband's future retirement and where they're going to be. I had one of my clients that gave up 10 years of his career to take care of his mother, lost all of his ability to put money into a retirement account. And then, as you said, I've had families that have been destroyed and, and listeners, you just need to understand that, that you can solve the problem. It doesn't have to be this way. You can put something in place. There's many solutions out there. Alicia and I work together uh, on these cases. She knows far more than I do about it, but as with our relationship, as we work with you and put your planning together, she's on the back end, making sure we're getting the solutions that are going to be best for you, that are going to allow you to keep that family together.
1: Thank you, Dave. And you know that's what I would recommend is don't put it off too. You've never been younger and healthier than you are today. Even if you don't put a, a plan as a long-term care solution in place, At least have a written plan of care so that your family knows where you want to receive your care. Who do you want to take care of you? How are you going to pay for it? Which asset would you liquidate first? So those are some of the things that you want to provide to your family. So even if you don't put one of these solutions in place, at least have that written plan of care. Make sure your family knows your wishes.
0: Yeah. And that's another hard one. I've watched family members recently go through that where they didn't know what to do from you know pulling the plug because they're uh, in life support to what do we want to even have happen, uh, a death, if that happens, or what facility do we put them in? All these things. So such great advice, uh, Alicia. I can't believe our time's come and gone. 20 minutes zips by uh, you know, and so quickly when we go through these things. But thank you so much for your wisdom, for your knowledge and your passion for a topic that's just so important to every one of us.
1: My pleasure, Dave. I'm thankful to be here and uh, certainly happy to help in any way I can.
0: Listeners, my name's uh, Dave Hall. I'm your host. You've been listening to The Retirement Risk Show. Come back next week where we'll talk about another risk that you're going to face in your retirement and the solutions that you can use to get yourself safely through those retirement years. And that's today's episode. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. The Retirement Risk Show is a production of the Retirement Risk Advisors. Our show was produced by CR Tallinn and Autumn Koenig. If you're a CPA looking for more retirement education, visit retirementriskadvisors.com.